The internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore it. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shagoths, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we will discover or build a god when we reach the cyber ocean floor. People claim to remember past lives. I claim to remember a different, a very different present life. The psychotic drones, where the mystic swims, they're drowning. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Astral Flight Simulation Podcast, where we navigate the digital world through art and culture. Today is a very special episode, a milestone episode, if you will, because I am joined in person by one of my recurring guests, Mr. Aspiring Vitruvian. You know him as Av. And we are together in Vermont. We spent the weekend here doing various things. We met up with several online friends, and today it's just me and him uh, enjoying fall in Vermont for one last day before we go back to our respective homes. And we've been doing a lot of talking about uh, the mythopoetic interpretation of the current era, um, seen through the lens of all of our favorite thinkers that we bring up all the time, Spangler, Avola, and Nietzsche. So we decided to just record one of our conversations and present it to you as a podcast episode. Before we do that, I want Ab to say hello and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about Vermont for a second and the first annual meetup of the Anons. Hello. Uh, good to be here. Yeah, it's, it's been a great time. Uh, Vermont is a gorgeous state. Gorgeous state. Uh, a lot to do. A lot of hiking. A lot of cliff jumping. Uh, went with another Anon cliff jumping in a storm. Uh, so yeah, we've we really uh, we've had a lot of fun. All right, yeah. Unfortunately, I had to miss that. I took off yesterday and I drove home from Vermont in a downpour. And apparently, these guys climbed some cliffs nearby from where we were, and did some cliff jumping in a torrential downpour. So that's pretty based. So if you're not bringing your uh, a non, or even if you're not a non online experience into real life, uh, you're doing the internet wrong. You uh, we need to we need to make these connections in real life and. Um, and make this into a real thing. So today, me and Av, this is kind of a, actually, you could consider it like a preamble to an episode we have coming up. We're going to be talking about the Kali Yuga and the quest for the Holy Grail in pretty uh, minute detail. And we're going to, we're actually going to have several episodes about this, so stay tuned for that. Um, we're going to talk about video games as well as sort of the the modern day digital era sort of a vessel to deliver narrative in in the digital age culture so um but we were thinking to, it might be a good idea to make an episode about uh, how we understand the kali yuga what it is or the mythological iron age um but also like just the materialist age that we're living in and maybe hopefully give you some insight into uh spengler uh excuse me nietzsche's zarathustra but i say spengler because he's uh tied tied up in me and Av's interpretation of all this. So I think the first thing I want to do is lay out for you briefly my perspective on the current state of the solar mythology of the West. And when they say the solar mythology, if you've heard that term before, they're talking about the procession of the equinoxes, um, uh, um, astrological uh, bodies, and our relation to them from our position in the cosmos, the planet Earth's position in the cosmos, and the way they appear to us in the sky. And um, there are some, I, I actually can't recall where I picked this up, 
But if anybody's interested in our talk, I think I might have gotten this from Rudolf Steiner. Very important guy, one of the main uh, luminaries of the Theosophist movement. So definitely go check him out. Um, but but I, I have to admit, I can't exactly recall where I was learning about how the perennial myths of the West, particularly the biblical myths, are actually reflections of different astrological ages as they relate to the procession of the equinox. And some people, Carl Jung in particular, say that those ages af affect the sort of um, mindset of, of humanity in that age so that certain like characteristics of the human spirit come to the floor, come to the fore, excuse me. Uh, I believe the terminology uh, Jung uses is that a certain archetype, a, a solar celestial archetype of that age grips the spirit of the people in that age and it's sort of like the, the, the driving principle behind their motivations and their but, but, but also the, the motivations and the sort of like driving will behind their uh, mythological and cultural production, their religious forms and things like that. So to briefly run through and bring you up to today and to bring you up to what me and Av want to talk about today, which is like the age of Aquarius, to put it in really simple, sort of maybe silly terms. Uh, I, I'd like to actually sort of uh, repossess that concept from the hippies because the hippies had uh, a new age understanding of it, and they looked at it as a sort of optimistic future age of um, an end of conflict and an end of strife and, a, and, and human flourishing and like a utopian age. Unfortunately, from the work me and Av have been doing, it kind of looks to us like the age of Aquarius might be like the eye of the storm for the Kali Yuga. Um, but we'll get there. Let me just run through this quickly, and then I'll give it over to Av. So... The procession of the equinoxes, as I've looked at it and as I've correlated it to uh, Western mythology, you went from the age of Taurus to the age of Aries to the age of Pisces, which will then go into the age of Aquarius. And the age of Taurus is represented by the bull. And the age of Taurus was like the Egyptian uh, high cultural age, the age of when the Jews were in Egypt. And then at the beginning of the uh, Bible, in, in the, the book of Exodus, I believe it is, and uh, uh, Moses comes down with the, the tablets. Um, part of what's happening in that myth is that the people, his people, that he has congregated at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai, fall back into the old ways. And I have that in scare quotes. They fall back into the old ways, which is worshiping th uh, uh, the graven image of the bull. Now, that is from their old life, and that is from their old time, and that is from the previous celestial age, which is the age of Taurus, represented by the bull. So he has to, like, cast down that graven image, and in order to prevent people from falling back into the old ways, and in order to give them rules to enter into the new age together with, uh, you know, Moses supposedly has the Ten Commandments transmitted to him by God, and he carves them down in the stones, and he brings them down and says, these are the rules of how you guys have to conduct yourself going into the next age. Fast forward to the death of Christ. Um, so, so, so that myth is the, the ushering in of the new era, but also like the, the purging away of the old era. It's putting the old era to rest. Then you flash forward to the death of Christ, and it's the end of the age of Ares. And uh, Ares is represented by a ram. And a ram in its infant, naive 
innocent state is a lamb, of course. And Christ is considered the Lamb of God. So on the cusp of the transition from the age of Aries to the age of Pisces, you have the sacrifice of the Lamb. The Lamb of God is uh, hung on the cross, and that concludes the age of Aries. And the age of Pisces begins, and it's ushered in by two fish. The celestial image of that is the two fish of the age of Pisces. And in the Old Testament... In the book of Kings, the prophet Elijah feeds the masses with loaves of bread. And he says to God, uh, you know, we're not going to have enough bread here to feed the people. And God said, go feed them and you'll have enough bread that you'll have enough left over. But then flash forward to the New Testament. And when Christ is being tempted by the by the devil in the desert, he says to turn uh, the stone into bread. And Christ says man cannot live on bread alone. And this is why Christ adds the two fish when he's feeding the masses with the five loaves of bread. He adds the two fish to that because men cannot live on bread alone, as he said. This is um, updating the Old Testament myth to usher in the new age of Pisces. Now, we can discuss a lot about what the significance of the two fish is. Uh, the best place I will refer you to on this would probably be Jung's book of uh, Ion. It's one of the best books I've ever read. I bring it up all the time. And to make a long story short, because we're trying to get ourselves up to the age of Aquarius here, to make a long story short, the two fish represent the, the duality of man, the dichotomy of the human psyche. And it's the separation of mind and body. And it's also the separation of body and spirit. So Christianity is a transcendent religion where they say that like God's power is sort of beyond the realm that we live in and that he has to transcend the material realm to sort of imbue us with his spirit and that we cannot really have full union with it while we're in this body the best thing we can do is sort of a, uh, embody that spirit as best as we can the spirit of christ so that we can finally have union with him in heaven after death and according to young this is sort of like the condition and this is as i said before the archetype gripping the age of pisces but the age of pisces has officially come to an end i believe it 2021 with the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn and Jung talks about the significance of this I, I refer you all to the book but we are now in the age of Pisces uh, excuse me we are now in the age of Aquarius right and the question we have to ask is so what happens to the mythology where did all the mythology go because the Bible the Bible is now 2,000 years old and we need new myths and and where are the new myths you have to look around and you have to say what are the myths we're telling ourselves what are the myths that are reorienting our civilization right now. Well, you're not going to look to movies or books or word-of-mouth stories like in the old times. Um, uh, the, the myths that everyone told, and you're not going to want to look at religion either because these are not the things that sort of uh, permeate our society in a top-down fashion and instill in us our perspective on the world and our perspective on our relation to the world. Instead, you're going to want to look to science because science is the sort of uh, organizing principle or the overarching signifier of our era right now. It has replaced religion. And the story that science is telling uh, the human race at the moment is that global warming is going to uh, drown the earth in rising sea levels because of uh, uh, glacier melting due to, to rising global temperatures. Now, I think it's, I think it's uh, not a coincidence, and I think it's quite interesting that during the celestial age of Aquarius, in which 
the sea god in the sky is supposedly going to uh, submit the planet to a deluge and pour forth the cosmic waters onto the earth out of his uh, out of his uh, bottomless jars of water. That this material age that has supposedly uh, escaped mythology and escaped unreason and religion is telling itself this myth that perfectly reflects the condition of the procession of the equinoxes. And it perfectly reflects the condition of the, the mythological sort of astrological significance of the same stories that have been informing us all along our path of the last two, four thousand years, however far back you want to trace the tradition of the West, which I would think that probably the oldest place, and Ev, correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think probably if you would trace our traditions back, the oldest you could go is probably either the Old Testament, the early books of the Old Testament, or the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, but we're going to stick with the Christian myth because it's no one would, would deny that the last 2,000 years of Western civilizational history is more informed by the Christian myths than the Greek myths. The entire classical world was, was oriented and, and built around uh, the Greek myths. In the classical world, the signifiers were Homer and Achilles and, and Odysseus, and the signified were the people, and everyone was trying to sort of like live in their image. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, they were all following the example of these people. And then the orienting, the signifier, the orienting myth of the last 2,000 years of what we know as Western civilization has been the Bible. And the signified were the Christians who were trying to live in the tradition of Christ and trying to, to live up to his example. It's the same type of thing. Now we are in a materialist age in which science is informing, um, is the great signifier. And we, uh, its subjects, this our ra us rational subjects are supposed to sort of be able to use our rational faculties to come to the reasonable conclusion, the reasoned conclusion that science is just objectively true and that we are like being signified by this overarching signifier which is telling us like the greater truth of our era and the greater truth of our era just so happens to correspond with the uh, archetypical uh av is shaking the, his head i'm going to give him the mic now it just so happens to correspond with the archetypical imagery of the procession of the equinox and the astrological archetypical signifiers all the way down through since at least uh, at least the age of Taurus and the the killing of the sacrificial bull. Um, so, Av, I know you know you've read a, you've read more Evola than I have. We've we've read Spengler and Nietzsche together, and um, Evola talks about this a bit differently. I'm not sure if this is the direction you want to take this conversation, but I know you know this well enough that you can explicate it. Evola talks about the different. Uh, m he uses like this alchemical. Would you say alchemical imagery? The the uh, Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and the Iron Age. And the Iron Age corresponds with the Materialist Age, which also corresponds with the Kali Yuga, the age in which the gods or religion or even mythology have supposedly abandoned the earth, abandoned mankind, and left us in, in a wasteland. But uh, I'm going to let Av come in here now and sort of riff on what I'm saying. And if you want to take it a different direction, please feel free. Yeah, um, yeah just to kind of, uh, I guess, elaborate on that, um, and just to, we, we can kind of talk about this and see how it compares to the uh, astrological phenomenon that we're talking about here is uh, Evola's whole cosmology uh, and he really details this in a lot of his different works but he specifically does in like the book of mysteries of the grail 
where he kind of uh, gives it a mythological parallel. But essentially, the pure age is, again, the golden age, and that's his uh, Olympic Hyperborean tradition where everything was whole, and uh, it's kind of the height of the culture, his Indo-European kind of Aryan culture. And uh, eventually that begins to decline, and you see a descent into the sort of lunar age or the uh, silver age, which is a much more feminine uh, characteristic, where uh, it's more of a matriarchy, uh, usually a very agrarian civilization. Even when we talk about the bull, uh, the bull is a very strong symbol of the lunar age because it's a sacrificial animal. Uh, in fact, uh, I think Evola himself said this. It may have been Joseph Campbell, but someone... Uh, I remember was was talking about the Minotaur, right, and Theseus overcoming the Minotaur and the labyrinth, and uh, it's postulated that the uh, Minoan civilization was actually left over lunar age civilization, and they still practice the customs of that era. And what what was the story, right? Like they had to go, they 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 captured a bunch of uh, children, I believe it was children, uh, but but and they sacrificed them to the bull. They threw them in to the labyrinth and had them eaten by the bull. And Theseus decides to go in and kill the bull into that age, into that custom of sacrificing uh, the humans. Uh, and, you know, what, what was Theseus representative of? The Bronze Age, right? And so in Evola's cosmology, that's, that's kind of the, the turning point, is that uh, after the Golden Age declines into the Lunar Age, uh, the feminine takes over for a long time. But eventually the masculine is going to kind of, like, get fed up with that and is going to rebound in a sense and you're going to have a hard right turn away from the feminine culture to the bronze age which is overly militaristic uh very masculinizing uh the feminine is now subjugated by the masculine and um and that is, is certainly a um good development in a lot of ways but he also points out that it's still not there's a reason it's not just a return to the golden age because whereas the golden age is almost at the synthesis of both uh, the Bronze Age is the masculine kind of deprived of the feminine, but it's just kind of trying to reassert itself. Um, and so you, you have, you don't necessarily have the higher warrior so much. Uh, you've got sort of a, a, a bit of a lower uh, warrior who's who's just um, fighting for the sake of fighting, but, he, but he's not, he hasn't fully recaptured the old flame of his culture, uh, but he's trying, he's moving towards it. But eventually that does degrade into what he calls the Iron Age or the Kali Yuga. And at that point, it's not even really a feminine or masculine necessarily. Uh, it's a sort of degraded slave age uh, where sort of maybe the demon Kali uh, runs the world. And Kali is actually like a male. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. One of the parallels he talks about is the myth of Parasu Rama. And Parasu Rama is a sort of reincarnation of the old solar king. Uh, because that's a big part of his myth, is that the Solar King will be revived in the guise of the hero and look to end uh, the current Dark Age. And Parasurama uh, journeys to Sambala, which has been taken over by the demon Kali, who is a male demon, but uh, Sambala at that time is now a matriarchy uh, run by females. So it's almost a, a twisted version where like the, the both the feminine and the masculine are like kind of contorted into... Uh, degraded manifestations of themselves and so uh his whole point and, and and when i said i mentioned mysteries of the grail because he believes the grail myth is sort of the purest distillation of that original solar myth and uh important part of all the grail myths is that the original king the grail king the solar king whatever you might uh and, and you can look at him as Anfortas or, or whatever else there's there's different uh depictions of him in different myths 
But his point is that the king has either died or perhaps he's been wounded. Uh, in, say, Parzival, Amfortas is wounded in the phallus by a poison sphere, so his virility is now, like, cut off, and the land, again, degrades to a wasteland because it's not receiving energy from that king anymore. And um, at that point, though, uh, there, the concept is that the king is eternal, so even if he dies, he's going to be revived again. And so, uh, you know, in, in the tale of Parasurama, Parasurama is the old king and he is revived as Kalki Avatara and that's where he journeys to Sambala which is the original city Avalon if you will and he's there to reclaim it uh, from the demonic demiurgic type of figure uh, that now runs the Iron Age and that's where we are now you know we're in the uh, Kali Yuga uh, we are being run by sort of a false authority that wears the skin of the original solar uh, rulers around and the way forward is to revive that sort of heroic spirit and to uh, take that journey to reclaim our world. I have a question, though. Um, didn't you say you? I was talking to you about this once before, but I might have. See, me, me and him go back and forth on this stuff. It's all jumbled in our heads. I can't remember where I get what. I think it was you who was telling me that part of the Kali Yuga during that age, there's a god who's asleep. Right? Was that you that was telling me that? Or was I? That's in Joseph Campbell somewhere. Sort of. Yeah, what is, here, explain the part about the god being asleep. Yeah, well, that's kind of um, pretty much the same with the king, the, the, the god or the king being dead. Uh, it, it just kind of gets manifested in different ways. So sometimes it may come about that the king has died and we're waiting for him to, like, reincarnate, you know, in another form as the hero, and then that hero will take his throne back and, and, and so on and so forth. It, but it may also be, like, again, like the, the Amfortas. It may be that the king's not necessarily dead, but he's wounded and he, he can't rule, you know, and he needs to be cured. Uh, and so, like, in the example of Parzival, Parzival has to ask the right question, which will heal the king of his ailment. But then, uh, even then, that king is no longer the king. He hands the throne, the, the crown off to Parzival. But it's like Parzival cannot take the throne as the Grail King till he heals the old king uh, so that he can sort of pass that baton off. Um, but, yes, there's also the concept a lot of, of the king uh, being asleep, you know, and, and or the god being asleep, I guess. I'm, I'm saying the king, but it, you can kind of equate it with the god. Uh, but you're waiting for the god to awaken again. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're all kind of uh, the same phenomenon, but different cultures and different mythologies have, like, worded it different. Uh. Well, I think this uh, symbology makes perfect sense, and it all coincides together with what we're telling ourselves uh, that about the, the, the coming great flood from global warming that's going to drown the whole world. I mean— the global warming alarmists, their whole, the whole reason why they want us to be alarmed is because they say that our cities and our civilization is going to sink beneath the earth. It's going to, there's going to be this great calamity where everything is drowned. And I just think it's so silly that they don't make the connection that the, that the uh, celestial age that we have just entered in, while we're trying to effectuate this great reset in an attempt to at the same fucking time it all happens at the same time that we're trying to institute this great reset so that we can offset the drowning of the world through globalization or global warming excuse me is the same time that we enter in the age of aquarius where the god is pouring the celestial waters down onto the earth now what Av is talking about about being asleep and about uh about the land turning into a wasteland if you think about um what we value as a culture right now, 
uh, it's rationalization, it's rationality, and that is the awake, the awakened state. Whereas religion and mythology is considered like the asleep state, like the you turn your rational faculties off and, and you allow yourself to be kind of carried along by religion. Or you, 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 and, I, and I've seen this terminology used so many times. You allow yourself to be carried along by these fairy tales. They say that religion is, a fair, is the equivalent of a fairy tale and that you need to like use your rational faculties to bring yourself out of that and into the light of enlightenment. But the whole idea of the age of Aquarius is like those that dichotomy will be drowned and like both of those things will be obfuscated and that um, the unconscious, right, the unconscious is going to sort of overtake the rational and that for the age of Aquarius, uh, a great sea will be like the symbol of the world. I, I picture this like this like dark ocean overtaking the world for the next 2000 years or however long it's supposed to be. But, but that is what they say. They say each era is about 2,000 years long. Um, and that... Uh, hold on, I'll have to edit this. So, so the image of like the placid waters of the rising sea levels overtaking all the great things and sort of uh, killing the civilization, burying the civilization, depopulating the cities and making the worth the world uninhabitable for us because of global warming and global climate change it's the same archetypical like symbolic metaphorical story of the kali yuga in which like the earth is abandoned by the gods and like the demystification process of all life on planet earth is finally complete and uh it's it's a complete wasteland it's the same fucking imagery um for the age of Aquarius, you, you, you picture the uh, – for the age of global warming, I mean to say. You picture these, like, hollowed-out cities that are half-submerged and they're empty skyscrapers. It's the perfect metaphor for the wasteland of, of the and, – and everyone knows uh, Sleeping Beauty. But this story is uh, much more detailed in the story of the Grail. I believe it's the story of Parzival that Av was talking about where the king was wounded in the groin because the, the groin is where the regenerative – uh, power comes from to sort of uh, and this goes all the way back to the golden bow we talked about this in the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode that tribal cultures that fully live in their mythology have to kill and replace the king to regenerate the harvest they need a young virile king who can impregnate many women sexually pleasure many women in the same night and also kill uh, more warriors than any other person in the whole tribe. He has to replace the old king, or else the land will go fallow. There will be a famine. There, they won't have the bounty of the harvest, and they won't have the 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 the, the fruits of the hunt. And uh, you know, women will go barren, and they will be existing in a wasteland. So there's this like um, there's this like gap, I guess you would call it. And the Kali Yuga or the Iron Age is that gap, or the Age of Aquarius, or the post global warming era that we're entering now is that gap that I'm talking about where the king like doesn't exist anymore the earth is demystified um, the dichotomies are are drowned and uh, the, the demystification process of the planet as I was saying is complete I, I do want to riff off of that really quick um, so the uh, when, when we talk about the flood right the, the global warming flood so uh, there's a lot of conversation we could have uh, whether or not this is going to actually happen. You know, obviously, there's a lot of debate on whether, you know, climate change is man-made or 
whether you know it's really going to melt the world. I mean, I know Al Gore was like we we talked about how Al Gore said the world was going to be flooded by a certain time, and it didn't, and blah 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 blah. But the point is that you know science often does this. It often uh, because the human spirit, the human mind, is able to intuit these sort of mythological realities that are that are beyond the material in a sense. But the scientific uh, mind is very uh, fixated on the material. So sometimes I think that these uh, people that, that, that are certainly intellectually gifted uh, and, and very intuitive, they might initially intuit these mythological realities, but they misinterpret them as like physical realities all the time. And I, I, there's a lot of directions that I can go with this, uh, but, but what I want to focus on is like the flooding, right? And, and what is the reaction by the scientists is that this is a disaster, we have to prevent it, we have to stop it. Um, and and th th there's a lot to look into that because um, I, I want to kind of invoke the, uh, we've talked about this before on the Event Horizon episode, but, you know, I wrote a paper on the abyss and I said that, you know, we are now entering into an abyss. I also said like the internet is sort of an abyss in a way because we're all in inundated into it. And uh, I kind of believe that the Internet is like the primordial waters, so to speak, um, it, like the spiritual realm, whatever you want to say. And now we're being submerged into it, whereas before maybe uh, the access to that realm was vetted by, say, a religious institution. Now you could say the scientific institution is the one who like vets our connection uh, to that transcendental realm. Like, you're not allowed to just get those ideas yourself. You're supposed to like run them through the scientific establishment first and let them tell it to you. Um, and I think that, in a way, this is them trying to stymie the inevitable uh, because they are they want to remain in control. And uh, because the flood is almost it's almost that the flood is inevitable. You know, we're going to be reimmersed into the waters. That's kind of the cycle of things. You know, um, civilization or man or whatever you want to say rises out of the primordial waters of the abyss and builds civilizations, uh, you know, has adventures, so on and so forth. But eventually everything returns back to the waters and eventually they rise out of it again. And this is sort of a cyclical thing. Uh, but people are afraid of that because the abyss is the unknown. You know, the, the abyss is the end of sort of everything that came before it. And we don't know what's going to happen. And so anyone who's in control right now is obviously not going to want to return to a chaotic uh, formless state where they don't they don't have a handle on everything and so um, you I think there's two ways to look at it I think that the flood there's a lot of negatives to it because uh, in the flood I mean a lot of people are gonna drown I mean not everybody's going to make it um, you know there, a lot of people really rely on this control and this stability and uh, this this could mean the end death whatever for them and so but at the same time uh, you, you have to have a return to this chaotic state so that something new can arise. And it becomes this debate on whether or not um, you want to keep a stagnating order alive for the sake of familiarity, or do you want to go to a sort of dark, unknown, chaotic abyss that allows for someone to rise again. And uh, we, we talked about the grail, so I'll, I'll kind of invoke the grail paper that I recently wrote. Um, I, I shared it, and I believe Arius Press also shared it, but... I talk about this, and I, I mentioned Joseph Campbell, right? And so Joseph Campbell, in his uh, Masks of God tetralogy, he, he talks about in the final book, which he calls Creative Mythology, he says that hero myth is the myth of today, that, that it is sort of the way forward, and his reasoning is that 
um, the old institutions, which in his mind might be the church, you could say it's the scientific establishment, whatever it may be, these institutions that maybe once had virile power uh, and they, they were really receiving energy from the mythological realm and they were transmitting it to the people and great things were being built, right? You know, the Sistine Chapel and, you know, you had the Crusades and, you know, Western civilization was flourishing and the church was really the spearhead of that. But at a certain point, it kind of maybe lost the plot and, uh, you know, isn't creating anymore, but it still has all that power. You know, it still has that prestige. It still has that sort of hold in the minds and hearts of the people. But if it's not generating uh, a cultural energy on its own, all it's doing now is kind of like obstructing the people from their access to it. And now nobody gets it. The church doesn't get it, but neither does the people. And so Campbell's whole idea was that it's actually almost a blessing that these institutions are starting to lose power because now it's leaving room for the individual to rediscover that mythological energy within himself. You know, there, he no longer has to second guess every intuition he gets because maybe the church doesn't approve of it or maybe the scientific establishment doesn't approve of it. He can kind of go on to his own adventure and he can uh, mythologize that. He can, he can connect in that way. And so uh, it's very long-winded, but this is all this to say is that... Um, Maybe the flood is good because maybe it needs to wash away the old uh, and, and a lot of people are going to suffer from it. But the people that can handle that, the people that can swim those waters, the people that, that were maybe once getting trapped on land can move freely and can create something new. And I'll just briefly kind of mention, uh, you know, even in modern stuff, if you don't want to talk about old mythology – we could talk about modern things like, say, the game Dark Souls. The whole plot around Dark Souls is that um, the flame, the first flame, maybe you could say the source of virility, you know, the, the, the wounded king, it's going out. And the current sort of Zeus of that world, Gwyn, the god, he sacrifices himself to keep the flame going. But it's only going to keep it going for a certain amount of time. And the whole point of the game is that the current world, the light, the age of flame, it's really over. And you can go burn yourself up in the flame to keep it going, but it's eventually going to go out either way. And Gwyn is afraid of the age of dark, the abyss creeping forward and ushering in that new age because he doesn't have power anymore. So it, from Gwyn's perspective, it's beneficial to keep that world going, even if it's sort of a facade of what it once was, at least he's in power and at least we know what's going to happen. But the implication is that for man the age of darkness is the age of man and uh the true destiny of humanity uh the bearers of what they call the dark soul is to let the flame go out and let the darkness arise so that a new age can begin and uh it comes down to a debate on are you willing to let the flame go out or are you willing to walk into that darkness if it means something new so that's that's generally my that's perfect, and stay tuned, everybody listening, because we are going to get way, way deep into that. We're going to do a whole episode on what Av was just talking about when we discuss everything we're talking about today in context of the mythology and the lore of the game Elden Ring, which is one of the most popular games of all time. I'm not even a gamer, and I bought it to play it with Av and talk about it on the podcast, but uh, that's a little bit of a just a just a sneak preview for what's to come to get back to our subject and what Av is talking about. Now, all these guys that we keep naming, Spengler, Evola, Nietzsche in particular, but there's others as well, Heidegger, Joseph Campbell, Jung, all of our favorite thinkers. 
what Av just said is is exactly the the state of affairs that these guys are grappling with. The whole purpose when when people talk about uh, the concept of nihilism and overcoming nihilism and how Nietzsche foresaw a, a nihilistic age, that's his terminology for what we're talking about. Everybody uses a different terminology. Spengler calls it materialist. Nietzsche calls it nihilistic. Evola's calling it the uh, the age of iron. Uh, the 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 Aryan Indian Hindu I believe it's Hindu or Buddhist are the Aryan uh, myths from yeah. India Hindu or Buddhist yeah, yeah, they, they trickle down to I guess I guess they're both yeah. um, they call it the Kali Yuga they're all talking about the exact same thing <laughs> and the purpose here uh, for our purposes is that these thinkers realize what's going to happen and what is happening. And their philosophy is kind of constructed around how to deal with it. What should we do? Like, how do we how do we overcome the nihilism that permeates and pervades our age? And you know, Nietzsche comes up with the uh, eternal recurrence and amor fati. That's kind of his way, um, and it's good. Unfortunately, that's been co-opted a lot by the same new age people that I was talking about who co-opted the age of Aquarius but uh, that concept of Nietzsche's is, is for another time I bring it up to tell you though that that's what he comes up with because he doesn't say that like we can stem the tide or that we can uh, hold on to tradition or that we can like perpetuate tradition he doesn't even say that we can make a new tradition he says that this is what we can do in order to survive the nihilism that's coming uh, Dostoevsky talks about this as well, by the way. Um, look to my essay, uh, The Failed Ubermensch. I talk about how Dostoevsky addresses this in the book Crime and Punishment. Spengler, Heidegger, those guys have their own way. But what, what Evola comes up with is the concept of ride the tiger. Now, to make a long story short, uh, it's in the very beginning of the book. He talks about the, the Hindu myth. I'm just going to call it Hindu. He, he gets a lot from the Aryan tradition in... India, and I'm not, it's not clear to me whether or not this is Buddhist or Hindu, but um, he talks about it a lot. And he talks about one of their myths is that you, or not one of their myths, but like one of their metaphors is that the warrior is confronted with the tiger and he has to, he has to fight the tiger in a bare knuckle boxing match. But of course, no fucking human warrior on earth, no matter how good you are, uh, is not going to be able to beat a tiger. And he talks about how the Greek analogy to this myth is where uh, Hercules has to fight a bull. Uh, I, I don't care who you are, even that, that Japanese guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, but the character of Ryu from uh, Street Fighter is based on him, where he supposedly would parade a cow around um, Japan, and he would punch it in the forehead and kill it in one punch. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's the, I forget this guy's name, but that's the uh, exception that proves the rule. For the most part, if you put an unarmed person in one-on-one -on -one combat with a bull or a tiger, they're going to lose. So Evola says that what you have to do is instead you let them charge you and you, you kind of jump around onto its back. You grab the scruff of its neck and you hold onto it. And while you're sitting on its back, it can't gore you or it can't shred you with its teeth and claws. It's trying to like whip itself around to get you. And if you hold on long enough, if you don't let go, you will uh, eventually ride the tiger uh, or, 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 well, in Hercules' myths, he's supposedly dragged by the bull. The bull charges, Hercules grabs him, the bull keeps going, he just holds on and he's dragged by the bull. 
eventually these beasts are going to wear themselves out and exhaust themselves, and their attempt to get at you is going to put them in a docile, weakened state where you can finally overcome them and beat them. The point being is that you basically have to find a way to ride this materialistic dark age out into the next age so that there can be the coming of some sort of savior, be it Christ, or some sort of hero, be it um, Zarathustra, the ubermensch, the, the, the person who's going to sort of step over all of this nihilism and all of these limitations and sort of uh, reinvigorate the world in the way that the king used to do in the in the cyclical killing and the regeneration and rebirth of the king. Now, this all sounds rather silly in a way if you think about it, but if you look at the way uh, the what's going on with our nihilistic age and you look at the, the death of religion, you're also watching, as Ab said, you're 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 watching like uh, chaos unleashed. You're watching like the, the, the further breakdown of civilization because, as I was talking about earlier, you have all these signifiers that society is, re is oriented around, and we are the signified. Um, that Right now, there's a massive battle for the signifier, and they're trying to like totally reorient the world around like different signifiers. So the, all this like woke political stuff where you see them like, arguing over like uh, they're trying to put different races of people into our midst they're trying to insert them in there or they're trying to say so-and-so like Achilles they're trying to say he was gay what they're trying to do is they're trying to like they're not trying to invaluate the values like Nietzsche talks about where you sort of like uh, you sort of like you sort of like crush the values and create new values they're trying to like turn them on their head they're trying to turn all of our um, all of our traditions on, on their head and, and during this interregnum phase of attempting to turn all of our values on, on their head, there's, there's, there's simply chaos. So there's all sorts of people out there trying to, like, gain control of the narrative. And some people are saying, you know, you have Black Lives Matter, you have the, the MAGA Trumps, you have the Christian nationalists, uh, you have the Democrats, you have the Republicans, you have the post-left, you have the GOP, the anarchists. And, and it goes on and on and on. And you've got all these subcultures trying to, like, argue for, like, whose narrative is going to to orient the future i contend me and av contend i mean i can't speak for av but i think he's basically with me on this that like nobody is going to it's going to all just kind of like collapse in chaos and perhaps and this is for another time perhaps it will will uh, accumulate into this one world government well actually that's kind of what spengler says is that this chaos he calls it a proliferation of cults you have different groups of people who venerate different things who are all competing in the marketplace of ideas for, like, who's correct and who has the right way. Uh, this is the breakdown of religion. This is the breakdown of institutions. This is nihilism. And, and, and according to Spengler, what's going to happen is that uh, someone is going to come along and sort of uh, present themselves as, like, the, the tyrant who kind of, like, cuts through all of this, and everything gets oriented around him. And I don't know if we're going to have, like, a independent figure like that emerge or if it's going to be like a one world government like let's say china russia and the u.s uh the the vying for global control continues and someone emerges as like the world leader well that would be like the person who or that would be the figure or the government that orients like the global community around it and they're the one who kind of like uh and this is what i was talking about in my daryl cooper episode as well about spengler about how the caesar figure 
in, in Spengler's estimation of this condition, he says a Caesar figure will come along and he's the one who will sort of like cut through all the competing narratives and kind of impose his narrative over everybody and take control and sort of put an end to all these different cults and put an end to all the different bickering and the fighting over the narrative. But where we are now in the world, it's very hard for me to look at our present state, political state, our global political state, and really see what's going to happen. Are we going to have an American Caesar come along and he's going to take America into its imperial phase? Or are we going to have the regime continue uh, to perpetuate itself and, and kind of shut out all political competition, in which case we turn into like a global competitive scene in which you have like the big superpowers fighting over and vying for control of the entire globe. You know, I'm not really sure where it's going to go, but the point is, is that everything from the past is like totally obfuscated and we are like thrown into the sea. And the, this, this dark ocean that I was talking about, the world being drowned, it's also like I see it not just as like the graveyard of the prior civilization, but I see it as sort of like a primordial soup of the future civilization. And Av mentioned um, um, the Internet. I think that's perfect that he brought that up because uh, I look at like the Internet. If you think about it like the net, right, we were we, the net can also be like a, a fisherman's net where you throw a net down into the ocean and you try to catch fish which is hilarious to me that the that that symbolism of the age that we're coming out of is the age of Pisces where like it's the age of the two fish where we are the fish and now we're being subsumed by the cosmic waters of the age of Aquarius and the fish are now all swimming together in this jumbled dark ocean of the internet and it's not not just a primordial soup for like the future age of the world but it's also a primordial soup of ideas and all different ideas that are being thrown around and jumbled around from the past they're all being sort of like thrown together on the internet and 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 we may have this like long period of chaos where all these ideas are fighting with each other but they're also and Spengler says this that uh, this age brings up some syncretism where the religions and you know you, you have to understand that like we're out of the religious era so when you talk about religion today I don't just mean Christianity and different sects of Christianity. I mean these myths that people follow. All these, whatever they are, the materialist myths that people follow. It could be, it could be anything as stupid as like people who are like fans of like Marvel movies who follow those myths. To people like me and Av who follow uh, Evola and Spengler's, whatever, whatever the case may be. These things are all thrown together. And the question is, are they going to continue to break down into more chaos? Or are they going to eventually like synthesize and mold some new novel idea that has never been seen before? And will this new novel idea, perhaps it will be a global one world religion born from the Internet. Will that sort of reorientate society around it? And will will we be brought into a new like imperial phase uh, to carry us into the future? Or will this chaos continue to break down and we go into a new dark age like at the fall of the Roman Empire where Western Europe was broken off from each other and there was no like centralizing force to keep all the people on the same like narrative. The first narrative being the emperor uh, and, the, and the imperial narrative and then eventually Christianity became the narrative a thousand years later. Uh, so what, so where, what is it going to be? I mean, Av, I want you to make a, 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 an estimation here. Like, Do you think we're on the cusp of this like prolonged interregnum era of chaos and competing ideas and strife 
or are we all going to kind of like fuse together into this new syncretized like is there going to be the emergence of this hero or the emergence of this new narrative the emergence of this new religion but before you i mean i want you to answer that question but i also want to just mention and i'll let you pick this up um in terms of riding the tiger or being dragged by the bull you know something me and you've talked about a lot that i think we need to uh incorporate here is the dolphin symbol the symbol of the dolphin because the dolphin is a is a mammal with higher cognitive function who lives in the dark water and who swims underneath the surface with the dark things there and they are able to like overcome the leviathans and they're able to do battle with the denizens of the deep like the great white shark um it's well known that dolphins can team up on a great white shark and and fight them off and 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 sort of they're like the perfect symbol for riding the tiger into the future. I mean, you know, I don't really want to say ride the tiger, uh, but but we want to we want to use the dolphin as our symbol because the dolphin can trans uh, it can like it, they can kind of transverse both realms. It can leap into the air, into the light right above the surface into the, like the rational faculties and it can swim down into the dark waters of the unconscious abyss. And it's it is the perfect symbol of who can survive this you know coming dark age this coming drowning of the world and just to to like really drive this point home is that the the age the celestial age that comes after the age of aquarius is the age of capricorn and the symbol of the age of capricorn is a goat with a fish's tail it's literally a new forged creature it's two creatures two different creatures like fused together into this new thing that is able to traverse the landscape of like the new mythological era that we find ourselves in as human beings. So and that was a lot there. I, I did not mean to go on for so long, but I know I mean, I have been talking about this for like a year or more straight. And, um, you know, we're we're just now ready to like deploy our perspective on the coming era and how to incorporate all these thinkers. These are all thinkers that everybody's heard thrown about online. Everybody knows who these guys are, but 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 who has read them and who has understood them and who has incorporated them in a way that that we have? Like that is what I want to offer with this podcast. And that is why Av is one of my most recurring guests is because like you need to do the new work of the future where you take the old thinkers and the and the current era and you like use them, you combine them together to like look to the future to see how we're going to deal with the problems everybody sees and move into the future and if not create like a new avalon or return to hyperborea how we're going to at least navigate the darkness until we get there which may take generations so Av, you have the floor i talked way more than i meant to but i know you got a lot to say here so please feel free to just go off yeah so um that's really where that's really where uh, I, I believe that we have to go. And in terms of, I, I guess I'll just address what you said about the, the dolphin first. So, like you said, um, riding the tiger is all about not resisting uh, what's coming, but finding a way to sort of ride the current wave of what's coming uh, while keeping your inner character intact. You know, not selling out, uh, not falling, whatever you want to uh, word it as. And so, yes, I, I do believe that the dolphin is an apt symbol. Uh, because when you think of a, a goat and a uh, fish being fused together, which is what Capricorn is, well, that's you know essentially a, a perfect image for a dolphin, right? It's an aquatic mammal. So it kind of has the, the 
qualities of both a mammal and a fish, uh, but, but allowed to be synthesized into a higher form uh, that is capable of doing more uh, than, than, the, than either, either one. And so the point of that being that, um, you know, I, I think that right now the solution to our problems is much more of an individual one. Uh, I, it's hard to really fully speculate in terms of like the socio-political side of things, like what's going to happen. You know, is there going to be a specific uh, nation or, or, or leader? You know, it's really hard to know. And so, so I guess my answer would be that we are really on the precipice of a sort of more chaotic age. And in fact, we're almost in a chaotic age because uh, outside of the political or even the physical realm, you know, spiritually speaking, uh, there just really isn't a, a unified collective uh, in the minds and the hearts of the people. It's really a spiritual free-for-all right now. And yes, there are Christians right now. Uh, yes, there are sort of atheists or, you know, science science uh, uh, worshippers in a way that sort of follow whatever the current establishment of science says. Uh, you know, there's even there's neo-pagans and there's Buddhists. I mean, there, there's different people of all faiths, but... What someone like even a Nietzsche uh, or an Evola or someone would say is that even someone who is going to church and, and just follows the Bible and his perception to a T, uh, that person is sort of making an individual choice to do so. Uh, he doesn't have to do that because no one's making anybody do anything anymore. And so uh, I do believe that right now the solution is more of an individualistic one. And maybe if you, if you want to invoke Nietzsche, you know, the, the answer towards uh, the issue we're faced with is to just affirm life and as an individual find a way to live a fulfilling life of passion uh, because I believe that each individual has a certain spark inside of them uh, that you know could birth a new culture because it's just the human spirit to fight and live and strive beyond themselves and so right now um, you know I I'm not the kind of guy that's going to tell the individual person that you have to, uh, you know, maybe you have to, you have to go get into politics right now, or you know, you have to go make a lot of money and become a business leader, or you have to, so on and so forth, you know, because uh, different people are led to different things, and right now I think you know uh, all of the collectives are sort of on a downswing, and what's more important than uh, a specific sort of utilitarian goal is you have to make sure that you preserve that spark of life within yourself. You don't compromise it. You don't let it get snuffed out. Because if you keep it going and you make your stand, you just never know what kind of ripple effect that's going to have. Because if we have a large collection of people, let's say dolphins, you know, if we have a large set of people that find a way to preserve who they are and swim the waters of the abyss without getting swept away, who knows what that's going to lead to? You know, Who knows what kind of positive, vitalistic change that may inspire in society down the road? Um and so that's really where I'm at, and that's um, something that really wasn't necessarily the original intention of the dolphin symbol. That, that's the thing about it. The dolphin symbol, really, uh, you've seen it circulating even around, you know, in sort of the, the, the Twitter sphere and things like that. Um, it really just rose, you know, on its own, and, and it really took a life of its own, and I don't think that's really an accident. I think that the reason why it's taken off and become so recognizable is because it's such an apt symbol for today, um, and... It's a symbol of the way forward. And so, you know, I, I know that in my own individual life, you know, that that's really uh, what I try to do. I, I just try to sort of walk a path of an individual hero, you know, someone who strives for something more uh, than what life gives him. 
and uh, to sort of let the chips fall where they may. And uh, I think that really goes along with what someone like Evola says when he says that the differentiated type of man has to connect with the inner tradition within himself. You know, or Joseph Campbell would say that the individual has to um, sort of project the mythological into his own waking experience, not rely on some outer collective to tell him what his waking experience means or what it is anymore. Um, and even in the, if you want to go back all the way to primitive man, you know, the hunter societies had a very individualistic experience. You know, the shaman, he received individual revelations from spiritual familiars that he then kind of transmitted to the group. But um, the initiation for young men in the hunter societies before the planter society kind of congealed everything into a collective was that they would just go out into the wilderness and experience their own kind of spirit quest. And there were revelations that were seen only by that individual, but that allowed the individual to realize his potential and what he is supposed to be and uh, integrate that, in a sense, into uh, the tribe or the society. And, uh, yeah, that's really where I think we are now, and that's the way forward. And that's why Nietzsche and all these others saw individualism as the answer. And individualism is a term that kind of gets tainted now. Um, because it becomes shallow. There's a difference, you know, right? Like you, you can be a shallow type of individualist where you just want to like uh, satisfy your base pleasures. You know, you just want to go have a lot of sex. You just want to go uh, eat a lot of food, you know, consume a lot of media. And, and, and when I say consume media, I don't mean like read books or watch shows or play games thoughtfully, uh, you know, in a, in a higher sense, but just, just consume, right? Um, that's not really the individualism I'm talking about, and it's not the individualism that someone like Nietzsche talks about. I think a lot of people really like to smear him a lot and try to act like that's what he's encouraging others to do, uh, when that's people really living out his, uh, his message wrong, right? Nietzsche calls for people, the individual, to forge new values, not cast aside values. Nietzsche saw nihilism almost like what we talk about with the ocean. Nietzsche saw nihilism not as the answer, but as something we have to move through. We have to accept that tradition has died, and then we have to take upon ourselves the responsibility to preserve that inner tradition within ourselves, and eventually that will lead to new, greater, vital traditions uh, arising. And so when I say individualism, I mean you have to go deep within yourself. And this is obviously a... a, a concept in every tradition you have to know thyself you have to go within yourself and reconnect with some sort of a higher calling you have to recognize that you have certain talents or certain passions or certain higher inclinations that orientate you to a mission that involves a self-sacrifice but it's also a self-sacrifice so that you can achieve your full potential within yourself and um i think that if you know, but you, you can't rely on a collective. You have to do it yourself, and you have to have the faith that other people like you are going to do the same thing, and that and if enough people do that, and I believe they will, um, that's how things are going to get fixed, and that's how sort of the culture of the future uh, will be birthed. But new cultures often arise from a synthesis of all the elements that came before it, and when you look at something like the Internet, you know, when you talk of the primordial soup, the conditions have now been set for us to do that because we now have access. You can get on the internet, you know, you can go to a library, you can access books and knowledge 
uh, from everything. You know, media today takes so many different things from so many different sources. You know, y you're going to see movies that have Nietzscheanism in it and Christianity in it and Buddhism in it. And uh, the whole point of that is that now that we're in this primordial soup, now that we're submerged in this ocean, we have a wealth of raw material to work with and manipulate and to create something new out of those contents that's never been seen before. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to um, sort of uh, expand on a couple things Av was saying. Um, basically, uh, I think Joseph Campbell and Nietzsche are not, I don't want to say they've been misunderstood, but I think some of the points they were trying to make, uh, because they, ha they both have so much work out there that some of their important points that relate to what we're talking about are overlooked or obfuscated or not given the importance or primacy that me and Av want to give them. So the thing about, uh, Av was talking about before, about the different ages of the um, uh, uh, Evolas, alchemical ages, the golden, silver, bronze, and iron age. The silver age would, and, uh, and the lunar age that Av characterized by uh, femininity and matriarchy, uh, Evola says that it's not just women, but it's also priests, and that women and priests uh, act hand in hand. Uh, during this age, but also the priests are not martial, you know, killers like the they're not strong men like the warriors or the Olympian gods of the the era before. They're not the heroes of the Iliad um, that are are praised and, and venerated by society. They are people who who don't embody that and don't have that skill. And that the Bronze Era is the sort of uh, revolt. And, and I, we don't just mean like the Bronze Age, like the historical Bronze Age. This is a mythological uh, characterization of the different eras. And Evola calls it the Bronze Age, which follows in the wake of the Silver Age, which is characterized in part by uh, uh, warriors revolting against the, the rule of uh, their people who are weaker than they are. Um, but he says it's kind of futile, according to Evola. It doesn't really go anywhere, and they don't—they don't—they're not really able to overthrow the priests and the women in the sense that they can't recapture society and uh, uh, bring it back under their control again, like they did in the Olympian age. According to Evola, that doesn't happen until the end of the Iron Age, really, where the hero comes and he's the one who's able to reinstate the the uh, the Olympian sort of um, pantheon. Now, that's kind of for another time, except to say that um, this is the hero, capital H, that Campbell is talking about. The hero is the one who is able to uh, re-enchant the world and reconnect the world to break the dichotomy or break the dualism that separates body and spirit. And if you read The Hero with a Thousand Faces, um, that's what he says like the hero represents the hero represents the navel of the world through which uh, our we are absolved of our sin it passes out and uh, diffused into God and we are uh, re-enchanted because the divine strength or divine power of God comes through the hero and is imparted upon us just like a woman's navel uh, excuse me an embryo's navel where its waste products are brought out and kind of uh, excreted by the mother, and nutrients are brought in from the mother to the baby. Um, the hero represents the navel of the world where our sin is taken out and excreted by God, and uh, we are nourished by the, uh, the divinity of God brought through the hero. But, but the point I'm trying to make here is that the hero is the avatar of all of humanity. 
the individual hero's quest that, and this is how society understands Campbell now, the individual hero's quest to me is this like Bronze Age revolt against like the mediators because the, the Evola's whole problem with the Silver Age is that the priests and the women want to be the mediators. There's a separation between us and God and they want to mediate between us and God and our duty, our task is to like cut through that mediation and have a direct religious sacred experience with the divine so to me when campbell says that like the the hero's quest is is analogous to young's individuation process where uh we kind of become ourselves our mature our ego is uh, establishes itself in adulthood uh young says uh, excuse me campbell says that this is the the hero's quest is the individuation process but what it also is is, is the attempt for the individual on their own to reconnect with the sacred and reconnect with the divine because the institution of religion has broken down and, and is kind of, instead of mediating your communion with God, it is now like blocking your communion with God. Now, I brought up Nietzsche. This is, Nietzsche talks about all of this in his own different language. Uh, Nietzsche's, Nietzsche's version of this is it's really played out over several different books, whereas Campbell sort of uh, puts it all together in one. But if you, if you look at, if you take the genealogy of morals, you, you can't read Zarathustra, you can't understand Zarathustra without reading the genealogy of morals. In fact, I believe Nietzsche says this somewhere, but uh, many of the subsequent books that he published after Zarathustra were really his attempt to clarify what he was trying to do with Zarathustra. So, where we're talking about the different ages, passing through the different ages, and the, the Bronze Age rebellion uh, against the revolt against the Silver Age, the Lunar Age of the priests and the women, um, in the genealogy of morals, Nietzsche has this uh, laid out pretty much in the same terminology to the, to the extent where I believe what Avola was probably doing was building on Nietzsche's model, putting it in mythological terms. Um, you have the blonde beasts who were the founders of civilization. They are the people who were able to sort of use their strength to rally their culture to kind of be a bulwark against the onslaught both of nature and other tribes or other warrior societies. Specifically, Nietzsche was talking about the Germanic barbarians, but you can really kind of extrapolate this to all peoples and the, the genesis of all culture is that um, these warriors were kind of the people who were living in the, the robust era, the robust age where strength, their strength was sort of the rule of the day. The morality of the day was their uh, ability to sort of exert their will over their own people, but also allow them to perpetuate themselves through pure, sheer force of will in the face of uh, both the onslaught of nature and of other cultures who are trying try to wipe them out. And then what happens is that you have this, in Nietzsche's terms, like this like slave revolt where the weaker people sort of team up and they impose their morality over the stronger people um, and, they, and they become the mediators that I was talking about of like in the, in the Olympian age, in the age of the blonde beast, the Nietzschean age of the blonde beast, there's this immediate experience of living your life not just with like the world around you but with uh your own inner will and your own inner self and you don't have to mediate your instinct or your urges uh through your rational mind 
in order to sort of present yourself to the world in, in a way that is acceptable and in a way that is kind of conducive to dealing with other people. You're able to exert your own will over others in the way that you see fit. And if you are not the strongest one, uh, you're going to either die or you're going to be subjugated by the stronger. And then the, the, the slave revolt comes along and it's the priestly morality who impose this like convoluted set of morals upon people so that they don't act upon their will and they don't act upon their strength so that like more different types of people can flourish and that they impose this sort of convoluted contrived morality that isn't founded in the will and it isn't founded in strength it's founded in religion and it's founded in rationality and it's founded in um the way Nietzsche uses it is staying your hand. You know, Nietzsche says that like the strong people and the, the earlier people, the blonde beasts, if they have an impulse to strike someone, they don't stay their hand. They just do it, and then they're in charge. And the whole priestly morality is the impulse to stay your hand. Now, me and Ab talk about this all the time because this is exactly how the priests tried to bring the aristocracy to heel during the early Middle Ages. They were, they were trying to stop the, pre, the, the aristocracy from being violent towards their subjects um, to stay their hand. And the priests, like, excuse me, the aristocrats didn't see any reason for that. There was no real reason for them not to exert their will over the people beneath them, over the people that were weaker than them. And the only way the priests really ended up being able to deal with this was the selling of indulgences so that, like, the aristocrats would go along making war on each other, uh, uh, abusing their subjects, murdering, committing violence against their subjects, being extractive of their uh, production, their, their agricultural production. So the priests basically couldn't get them to stop. So what they did instead is they started selling indulgences and said, okay, if you're going to commit all these crimes, pay the church and then we will pray for your soul so that you can get to heaven. And basically what ends up happening is the aristocrats don't have to change their way of being at all. And they don't have to act like Christians at all. They don't have to embody the spirit of Christ in any way whatsoever. And the church, although there was clearly widespread massive abuse when they were taking this money and they were, the aristocrats would die and they would leave their property, a lot of their property to the church. So the church became the owner of all sorts of property and the church became, uh, you know, the source of all sorts of wealth because when these aristocrats would die, they would say, well, if I leave all this property to the church, then they'll pray for my soul and I'll go to heaven, even though I live like a bad Christian. Now, again, there was all sorts of corruption in the church, but what they also did was use this money and use this property to give the serfs and give the peasants like a better life and to shelter the poor, to, to shelter the sick and to shelter women who were, you know, you know, who were subject to this violence from the aristocrats to give them protection, to give them to uh, refuge from all of that. So eventually what happens is it, 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 time goes on and the church, the aristocrats go away basically because of trade. Uh, the, arist the aristocracy goes away and that was a long process of that all dying. And by the time you get to Nietzsche, like the slave revolt is complete and you have all these people living in you know, 19th century Europe who are living as what he calls last men. And the last men are like the, the people living in the wake of this slave revolt. And the way I see it, uh, uh, there's this quick passage that me and Av have talked about before in Zarathustra, where Zarathustra is going around saying, like, this morality that you guys are given and this morality that you guys are living on is the slave morality. And, and, and it was a revolt where the priests and the women came and they overthrew, like, the real masters of mankind and the real masters of society. And they were taught 
to like not uh, exert their will in the way that they did, and they were taught not to order society around their way of doing things, and it was all brought low. And now we're living in this like what Avola would call lunar age, and there's this. So so he says you have to evaluate those values, and the only way for us to move into the future with any sort of vitality is to sort of reinstate this golden age. So that's that's what Zarathustra is supposed to be. The Ubermensch is supposed to be the guy who doesn't live by the slave morality, doesn't live by the priestly, feminine, lunar morality. But one theme all throughout Zarathustra, it's like the main theme that he hammers home in the beginning of the book, but it, it persists throughout the rest of the book is that now is not the time for the emergence of the Ubermensch. And this is what I see basically as like the Kali Yuga or the Iron Age. He keeps talking about how the people aren't ready to hear his message. He has to go back and like retreat back to his cave and like figure out a better way to present his message to the people. And he keeps going down, he keeps trying to explain it, and he keeps getting met with people who like don't understand his message and, the, and he reiterates that like the time is not now. So we have to look to the future where hopefully a man like this comes. And this is the hero that I was talking about, uh, Joseph Campbell, capital H hero. Uh, in Nietzsche's you know, way of putting it is, um, this is the Ubermensch, or this is the return of the king. Um, or in uh, Evola's estimation, at the end of the Iron Age, a hero comes along and like reinstantiates the, the golden Olympian order of the gods. To me, this is the Ubermensch that Nietzsche is talking about. And um, in terms of like the Bronze Age revolt about what I was saying about uh, how I see Campbell saying that we each need to undergo our own hero's journey with this process of individuation. Um, Av, maybe you could take pick this up, but we've talked about this passage in Nietzsche before where he comes across some soldiers and he kind of sees in them like, you guys have the same spirit and the same will that I do, but you're not like self-motivated warriors who do things on your own. You, you're soldiers, but you still have to put on the uniform. So you, you, you're using your martial abilities and your martial skill that the Olympian ones or that the blonde beasts, and I'm not quoting Nietzsche here, that the blonde beasts embodied, you have that skill, but you're still taking orders. You're still being told what to do by some, some higher up, uh, and, and we might say some stiff in a suit, some bureaucrat, which is exactly how things are today now. Like, say, in America, the men who have to go out and, and, and go into the fucking Hindu Kush and fight these Taliban warriors, like, these guys have what it takes. The GI grunts who went to Vietnam to fight the Viet Cong, all these people had what it took to win. They had what it took to kill these people. They had what it took to win that war. But they were still beholden to the bureaucrat back home who sat in an office. And that bureaucrat back home embodies the priestly class or the, the Silver Age. Whereas the soldier is like the Bronze Age re revolt where they have all of the tools uh, to like revolt against these people. But they don't actually do it because they don't like have the vision and they don't have the charisma of someone like, say, a Donald Trump. And that's somebody that they can all look to as like the coming Caesar figure or the coming hero or the Uber Mitchell, however you want it. And I'm not saying that like Donald Trump is that. But to me, if you look at history, like especially the fall of the Roman Republic, there's several figures who come along. Uh, there's Crassus, there's Sulla, there's, uh, there's the Gracchi brothers before them, there's Marius. There's all these figures who come along who like, look like they're the stirrings of having what it takes, 
but it, it finally takes like the final figure of the Caesar to actually cross the Rubicon and actually do it. Um, and then that culminates, of course, with Augustus, who sort of uh, brings down the divinity of like the gods and sort of like represents it himself. Is he supposed to embody that? And so that's how I see like the ages and the eras that we're going through. And that's where I see us. And then, Av, I know me and you have talked about that, that Zarathustra passage before where he sees, you know, he recognizes something of himself in the soldiers, but he doesn't think they, they can go far enough. I don't know if that's where you want to pick this up or if you want to take a different direction. Yeah, so I sort of will. Uh, I, I did just want to elaborate. You said um, you're talking about the genealogy of morals, right? And, and the blonde beasts, right? And I think it's really important uh, that that the way Nietzsche saw morality is that he saw as when it was originally born, it came from these strong men of higher will that basically they didn't have a, a, a necessarily a book, right, or, or a uh, sacramental authority that told them what was right, what was wrong, how to act, how to not act. They really were what they were. But what they were was virtuous, right? It came through their blood. And this is obviously a very heretical concept that, you know, why Nietzsche gets so much pushback because the, the common sentiment is like, no, you know, man is in, in, his, in his state. And, of course, you're already getting into what I think is dangerous territory when you're universalizing man into one thing. No. I'm not trying to interrupt, but you're saying, like, the blonde beasts, like, were the source. They weren't getting this imparted upon them by the shaman or the – or the priest. I mean, is that what you're saying? Like the blonde beasts were the source. Yes. Now, now, and, and I don't want to. I, I can spurg out on it. Like the, the shaman um, itself is its own thing. You, you could make the argument that like the hunter tribes themselves are, um, were made up of like these kind of a blonde beast type of man that they were all sort of islands onto themselves. Because even the shaman was an island unto himself too. But 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 when you talk about like the, the priest and and where where there's this sacramental authority and no individual really has the agency to do uh, his own will, everyone has to sort of integrate into this web, right? Um, so so let's just take as an example, right? So let's just say these blonde beasts rolled up to a new land, uh, and again they were just living out their own passion that, that that drove them to strive and 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 expand and explore and conquer and and colonize, and Maybe they ran into some other people, some foreign people from this land who weren't like them, weren't of that higher character, doing some sort of a degenerate activity, right? Just something that they found disgusting or uh, wrong or whatever, and they got angry, right? And they lashed out, and they beat them or they killed them or they did something in retribution. You know, maybe somebody slept with their wife and they got really angry, you know, and they beat the crap out of this guy. You know, they, they, they kicked his ass, they killed him, whatever else. Um, well, that just kind of became the rule, right? Through, through force of will, through action. It was like, Hey, you know, don't sleep with, with somebody's wife. Cause that guy's not going to take that lying down. He's going to kill you, you know? So under penalty of death now, you know, adultery is illegal. Whatever, you know what I'm saying? So now, but later on, you know, you, 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 you kind of fast forward in the future. Not everybody is a blonde beast. Not everybody is one of these people. So it's not going to rise in their blood to, to, to not sleep with somebody's wife, to not do some sexually degenerate thing, to not steal, to not do something that wrongs another person. And, and to not put a stop to it when you see it going on. Yes, yes, Go exactly. On. No, no, no. So, so, that's, so because of that, those weaker people have to have a book written, right? They have to set these hard, kind of externalized, abstract laws 
that keep them in line, right? Because their blood isn't going to keep them in line. If they just rely on their blood and their intuition, they're going to do something wrong. They're going to fall into sin, if you will. Um, and so, and that's all fine and good. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing because... Absolutely, and the Ten Commandments were exactly yes. They were, they were, they were certainly an example of that. And there's nothing wrong with that because I mean, you know, it is what it is. These people still want to be good. They recognize they don't have the discipline and the will to keep themselves good, and so they they write a book. They externalize it. They abstract it. The problem arises though, and Nietzsche kind of uh, touches on this: is that when you fast forward into the future, and for whatever reason, those blonde beasts, those aristocrats, they aren't in charge, they aren't as common, they don't have the kind of cultural power that they did once, and now those priests, you know, those slaves, whatever, those lower people are now in charge, and their tendency is going to sort of try to erase the existence of those blonde beasts from the, in the first place, and now you're going to have these priests telling you, that nobody can rely on their blood. Nobody can rely on their intuition. Everybody needs to, to do what they're told by the priest or to read this book or to follow this code because if you don't, you're going to fall into sin. You know, you're going to become a sort of a lower base subhuman creature. And um, that's where the problems start because those that are, and I think that in every age, even in this age, there are people who don't, have to be told what to do all the time. There are people who have a higher inclination in their blood to do virtuous things. And those people find themselves stymied by the current regime and told they can't trust themselves. So instead, they have to defer their intuition and their judgment to other people who are of a lower quality. And so the, the, all this to say, and that, that's kind of tying back even to uh, what we talk about the hero myth and the way forward is that, you know, if you're the type of person who has a higher inclination towards virtue and you don't have to be pushed towards it, you just do it. Um, your goal is to rebel. Your goal is to almost assert that, look, I'm not like everybody else. You know, I don't need you, you know, scientist or priest or whatever. I don't need you to necessarily vet my life and vet every ambition or dream I have and tell me whether it's right or wrong. I am what I am and I know what I'm destined to do and I'm going to go seize my destiny because I believe I'm capable of doing that. And so um, in a way I think that if we talk about barbarians because that's kind of what the blonde beasts are that's what's going to sort of pave the way for a new age is a rise of these new almost techno barbarians of this postmodern age are going to come and wipe the slate clean in a certain sense so at a certain point i believe that those of us that have the strength and the will to enact higher virtues we will eventually be able to rise up and allow the um, spirit within our blood to have its say again and no longer be kept down and told that and, and, and now with that being said um, and again this is what I said when 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 the flood happens people are going to get washed away um, not everybody's going to be able to handle that if you go around like what Nietzsche does when you go around advocating for an individualism 
and this is what a lot of people like and i know a lot of christians will say this um well it's it's very harmful for people to spread nietzsche's words right because a lot of people are going to listen to what nietzsche said and they're going to end up falling into bad things because they aren't the kind of people that uh can take nietzsche's advice and live it out in a, in a healthy way right they're going to be they're going to self-implode they're going to fall into de 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 lower degeneracy or whatever else because they're acting on their quote-unquote individual will and that is obviously an unfortunate consequence. Um, but that's just the way things are today. We are all sort of left to our own devices in a way. We're all sort of atomized individuals that, are, that have to kind of find their own way into the world. But uh, I still think it's very important to advocate for what Nietzsche advocates for. Because yes, even if a lot of people end up going down the wrong path due to individualism, hey man, what if one out of a hundred, you know, does actually get freed up by this individualism, this this deluge of the primordial waters, and is able to enact this higher will, uh, and, and pave something forward to the future? And I would say that it's worth that. It's worth having um, some people not make it if the people that we need to make it do. And 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 that's about all I have on that one. No, I agree with. And, and 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 we got to make it clear here. We're not talking about like making something happen or doing something, or or like or like bringing about any certain way of being or, or or any certain event or calamity. We're saying this is where we find ourselves. We're saying we're in it now. It's happening around us, and it can it can be anything from the most banal thing you can think of, like how Hollywood movies suck now, and and music all sounds the same, and like. Culture production is all like weak and it's all the same stuff over and over again and it's not good anymore and it's not like it's not we're not like producing anything higher anymore. It could be anything from that to uh, the, the death of religion and like nobody nobody follows Christianity anymore and Christianity is amoral or it could be teen pregnancy. It can be the prevalence of drug use. It can be uh, what a gang gang warfare in the inner city. I mean, you any you name it, anything you want about. Uh, the condition of modernity that is that is looks to be an intractable problem uh, from from from, you know, video games aren't good anymore to to the murder rate and the suicide rate is going up. Anything from as inconsequential to to as deathly serious as you want to name. This is the condition we find ourselves in. Now, what Av is talking about, you, you could take it a couple different ways or I, I could take it a couple different ways anyway. Um, what he's talking about, about how most people aren't going to make it, but the one in a hundred does, that's all that matters. It, it sounds like he's being very, uh, what's the word, uh, hyperbolic perhaps to say like the one guy is what matters, but, but he's, in my opinion, absolutely correct. And the different ways we can look at it are, um, metaphorical, uh, like, like, like you could say that like the one person who makes it is somebody who writes a book, for example, that resonates with lots and lots of people. And that book inspires a whole generation to like uh, to to find itself again, and invigorates them to like go out and take the world by storm, and to to sort of uh, uh, reassert themselves into the world and become like the best version of themselves as they can be. This is what Joseph Campbell's talking about about folly your bliss. Like uh, you have to like find what you love and do it. Or Nietzsche. He, uh, Campbell's Folly or Bliss is a rewording of Nietzsche's uh, Amor Fati, Loving Fate. Uh, so these type of people that Av is talking about, the people that we're talking about, this this mammal that can, this uh, fish mammal that can swim the dark waters, 
It could be anything from from a from a I don't know an Elon Musk who's out front and like like try seemingly maybe taking charges. I can't. I haven't decided if Elon Musk is just an opportunistic uh, diddler, uh, a hobbyist who's like you know um, I- instead of really trying to take the the reins of society and and do something positive and make something. It's hard for me to tell if he's just like a spoiled rich kid who's just like. These are all his like hobbies, you know, blowing up sp- spaceships and saying he's going to buy Twitter. Is he really going to take control of, of, of the Faustian West? And is he really going to take control of the space program? And is he really going to take control of the common uh, agora, the online agora of the digital age and like and make something of it? Or is he just like playing games to try to keep himself in the news? I don't know. That's yet to be seen, but that's what Av's talking about. I think yeah. of like the one in a hundred person, or it could be the author of some book that takes the world by storm. As I said, it could be it could be it could be you. You know, that's 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 the thing. It, it, it could be anyone. You know, it could be someone famous that we see now. It could be someone we don't know about. It could be me. It could be you. It could be astral. It could be any of us, right? Um, but but that's kind of my my point of it is that um, you know, uh, if I go around telling everyone. Hey, you know, anyone who's an author right now, you should just write what sort of comes to your heart. You know, you shouldn't just go along with whatever the trends tell you is 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 the best way to write. You know, you should, well, a lot of people may do that and be widely unsuccessful, you know, and their artistic career gets tanked, you know, and um, they could come back and say, man, if I would have just, you know, kind of jumped on with the trend or kind of done what the recommendation from others was uh, on writing my book then uh, I would have been more successful. I would have like been able to have a, a, a great career as an artist. Um, and that's a very unfortunate thing. Like maybe they shouldn't have taken that advice. You know, maybe they should have just copied like JK Rowling or something like that <laughs> and like made like a knockoff Harry Potter that, that wasn't that good. Patrick <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yes. But but maybe they would have at least made it, right? Quote unquote made it. But you know what? Maybe somebody hears what I said here. Uh, you know, or not just me, you know what I'm saying, but what, maybe someone takes that at that level of advice. They listen to Nietzsche, whatever, and maybe they end up writing the next Moby Dick, you know, or something like that. Well, at the end of the day, to me, hey, that's a net positive because we've needed that, and that next Moby Dick may, like, pave the way for a whole new era of the novel. And we can juxtapose that into anything. You, 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 you can turn – you can uh, – juxtapose. You can translate that into anything. You can translate that into music, uh, gaming – um, movies, military, you can, you can translate it into anything, but the point is, uh, just like Zarathustra said, you know, if you're the differentiated type of person who finds themselves not, um, satisfied by the, the marketplace, right? You don't like try to make it in the marketplace, right? You leave the marketplace, you go to the mountain and some might say that's like escapism and that that's, um, well, how are you going to change society? Well, that was kind of the point of Zarathustra, right? He, he kind of freed himself even from uh, an excessive concern with, like, changing society. He found it more important of, man, I have something here, like, in me, that, and this is real, right? This is realer than anything I see out there, and it's more important for me to go up to the mountains and preserve and foster that fire, than for me to like sell it out because well maybe I can become a, a success in the marketplace maybe I can get through to some of these people you know he says like you're not you're not a statue you know you're not stone you will get worn away over time and so that's my point is it's like you, if you have an individual passion in yourself you need to do whatever you need to do to activate that because as per, as contradictory as it may seem 
and this is just my take on it, but as contradictory as it may seem, when you kind of let go the idea of like changing the world and you're more focused on not staying true to yourself, those are the kind of people that when, when people stay true to themselves, those kind of people do change the world. And it's a paradoxical thing, but yeah. Yeah, and that sort of um, sort of ties into what I was saying about like the coming one world religion. If if there is a one world religion, the internet will be able to facilitate that because someone I I could foresee someone using the internet in such a way to kind of take the world by storm and becoming like an international phenomenon. And that sort of happens like it it kind of sounds silly, right? But there's actually examples of this happening just with like rock stars and, and musicians and stuff like. Uh, or, or someone like PewDiePie with 100 million subscribers, like some cultural force who wants to then go on to like seize political control. And this is exactly what Donald Trump did. He was this like cultural force. He was this like TV star who used the Internet in such a way that he was able to garner like huge, a huge following. And the powers that be saw that they don't like it. They shut it down. They put an end to it. But but I could foresee someone doing that from a cultural way and in a non-political way. So if somebody were to just make music or to write stories or whatever and take the world by storm in that way, um, that could be a way to power. Um, not even just power, but like prominence. But the thing is, is like that, that may never happen or that may take a long time. Um, some people argue that we are in the very, very beginning of the digital age and that, that the world, the paradigm of the new coming world is going to be the digital paradigm. And that... Um, that, that any of these things that – these big changes that the, the digital era, the digital media may effectuate are, are in the future. They're probably going to happen after you know this generation is gone. Maybe the Zoomers will see it or maybe the Zoomers will be it and be that generation. Um, I, I, I think I want to end on one point. I'll give Av like the last word or the last point. It's to say that like Nietzsche accounts for all of this in, in his work. Not, I don't know if it's in Zarathustra exactly, but he accounts for this in The Twilight of the Idols. Um, th this accounting being that there's going to be like a dark age before the emergence of the hero or the emergence of the ubermensch. Or we're going to be in the Iron Age for a certain amount of time. And like all these grand things me and Av are talking about, like they're not really going to come to pass necessarily right away. Uh, because the the control of the priests and because the the control of the women and because of the control of the slaves is so great, it's going to take a long time for their their grip to to loosen. And maybe it never will. And you know, another way to say this, we're talking about the priests and the women. It could just be communism. It could just be global communism. Like it could it could be that communism is like here to like put the world to sleep for however long until communism itself dies. But I mean, that looks like the era that we're going into. But Nietzsche accounts for this. Nietzsche has this in his model and in his system in Twilight of the Idols where he talks about the subterranean. Because here me and Avar talking metaphorically about like an artist or an author or a mythologist being like the one in a hundred or being like the Ubermensch. Well, if you read the Ubermensch, like that's not what the Ubermensch does. The Ubermensch actually uses his like martial ability to like violently strike out and like take control um, you know, Caesar, Caesar rode a wave of blood into, into power of, in Rome. And now I had Moldbug on my show and I, you know, he has this whole model of like this, this technocratic digital era, you know, Caesar type, what he calls monarch. 
And I asked him on his show, I said, everything you're saying sounds all well and good, but I don't see how that can happen without like a civil war basically happening. And, you know, he kind of white pilled me. We ended that episode on a white pill because he kind of laid it out how like it's not really going to happen that way here. It's basically like the old world is dying and the new world is being built up. This is Moldbug's parallel institutions like we are building these parallel institutions online right now so that when the old one like goes away, we're just going to be here standing. It's not like we're going to have to like fight a civil war and take over, which I think is why Moldbug didn't support Trump, I'm assuming, because it looks like the only way for Trump to really put himself in there is going to have to be through brute strength. Um, so, so that's Moldbug's estimation, and I like it a lot because it's very positive and optimistic. I'm not sure it's going to play out that way, and it sure as hell isn't what Nietzsche's talking about. He's definitely talking about an invaluation of the values, an invaluation of slave morality, and a reinstantiation of like the Olympian age, you know, blonde beast morality, which is like you take what you want when you want it, and and you 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 put down people who oppose you, or whatever, and which, which is what Caesar basically did, but of course. He ended up being, you know, betrayed and stabbed to death. But Augustus was the one who really, I mean, he marched into the Senate under guard with, you know, Caesar's, uh, Caesar's uh, seasoned veterans uh, with him. So, so he definitely used, like, brute force to assert his will. And I think that's what Nietzsche was talking about. And Nietzsche comes up with the concept of the subterranean in The Twilight of the Idols where he says that, like, if the slave morality, if the if the priestly class is too strong, if the liberal institutions that keep that world order in place are too strong, someone who comes along and tries to act like this is going to just be cons- turned into a criminal. Someone who embodies these characteristics. I also talked about this, by the way, in the Daryl Cooper episode where I said um, Freud versus Nietzsche, where I said like Freud says you have to repress these things. But what I what I meant was like Nietzsche's characteristic is like, no, the repression model doesn't exist. Some men are like that where they don't act on their impulses and some men are just like that and they act on their impulses. And and in the old days, they were the warlords and now they're the criminals. They're the violent criminals who have to be put in prison. They're the they're the, the subterraneans who can't really like come into the marketplace of ideas because that's not how they operate. That's not how they interact with other people. So Nietzsche's whole point is that like if the 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 the, the silver age is still hasn't completely waned, this bronze age revolt that we talked about, this Evolian Bronze Age revolt that is ineffective, that doesn't reinstantiate the Olympian order, these people, according to Nietzsche, are the subterraneans who like refuse to live by the liberal order or, or by what Av was saying, like the rules that are written down and the law that is codified, that is imparted upon you from a higher order, from a higher like top-down fashion, who refuse to live by those rules, they don't become the warlords. They don't become the leaders of society. They become the criminals and they have to live underground, uh, you know, in, in, in like a mafia. Or they go, in, they get put in prison or they get put to death. And um, I'll just end it on saying like that's what, Breaking Bad is about, you know what I mean? Breaking Bad is, like, one of these guys who, like, refuses to, like, play by the rules, and he becomes this, like, underworld, like, leader. And it, like, it, like, spirals to the point where, like, the only thing he can focus on is, like, pure, raw power politics with him and the other criminals. And these people are all, like, operating under the scenes right now. They're, like, operating, like, behind the scenes and underground 
uh, under the veneer of like the liberal order, which is like in control right now um, in the light of day, whereas the subterranean. So and and, you know, I'm going to give Ab the last word, but I just want to say like this is all in play in in crime and punishment and Raskolnikov and Nietzsche talks about this. Um, Raskolnikov like is the embodiment of this. Uh, it's much more complicated than that, though. So go read my article, The Failed Ubermensch. Uh, we're going to say our goodbyes, but I do want to give Ab the floor to kind of respond to what I said um, to wrap up our discussion. Um, yeah, I mean, you kind of just uh, covered it all. Uh, the only thing, I, I guess I'll just cap it off, and, you know, I, I, it's also sort of a good uh, analogy to talk about Spengler. We, we talk about Spengler a lot. You can talk about his um, soldier, you know, the, the one that, that remains behind, you know, even, even as the volcano is erupting because he wasn't relieved of his guard, right? Uh, and in a sense, maybe you can say that, you know, if, if, if those of us that, that, that feel that we are those type of people that, that have that passion in their blood, you know, and, and, and can't sell out on it, um, you know, it may be that, like you said, it may be that we're just on the cusp of a sort of technocratic um, communism type of state, you know, and those that are uh, inclined on that path towards heroism are going to be tragic heroes. You know, yeah. maybe they're just going to, to go out swinging and they're not going to win, you know, and physically speaking, uh, they're not going to, like, set a new uh, empire. Um, and and I, I, you know, I, I guess I don't want to make it sound like I'm telling people what to do here. Um, but, but I can tell you, like, personally speaking from me, um, my, my response personally would be, like, look, I'm, I'm going to walk the path, you know. I'm going to, to pursue the path of heroism. And if I, I go out swinging and if I'm demonized or, or you know, or I, I'm consumed for it, uh, you know, better to sort of die on your feet and, 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 and living out your ideals than to sort of live as a slave. Uh, and, you know, I think that a lot of people that that may be the case. But um, at the end of the day, you know, perhaps that's all there is to it is that that you just have to live out your passions. You have to go where you're led and you just have to let the chips fall. And, you know, I would bring a historical example of uh, Cleomenes, um, who was a, a very successful uh, Greek, uh, I believe general, to be honest. I can't remember his exact position, but he was a leader. And he was taken to Alexandria. Um, and the, uh, the, the current regime of that, they, they wanted to execute him, but uh, they didn't want to just do it outright. So they basically jailed him and his men. Uh, in this house and they gave him all the food they wanted and women and like they they were basically trying to like fatten them up like a calf for the slaughter right just and like this time Alexandria was very similar to our uh, current current empire where it's very uh, hedonistic you know and, and and there was a lot of excess and things like that and well Cleomenes eventually sort of saw the writing on the wall that like no this is what they're doing you know they're trying to sort of uh, make us docile and that they're gonna kill us right and he made the decision to just go out with his men, and they went on a tear, you know, and they, they tried to make it to the to the palace or, to, you know, and, and, and make their last stand, and they died in the streets, you know, and everybody, all of the citizens didn't come out to help them. They just watched, you know, and, and um, but they didn't care. You know, I would say someone like Cleomenes, he didn't care. He would have rather gone out like that than waiting for it. Um, and I would say that Cleomenes probably had the same spark in him as a um, – uh, you, you know, an Alexander or some kind of a conqueror, right? And if he, if the societal conditions around him had facilitated him to go win and, and be a conqueror and, like, 
be some sort of a cultural leader, he probably would have because he had that same fire in him, but the era just wasn't there, right? The era was for him to be more maybe of a subterranean that, that gets subsumed. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he, he went out uh, being true to himself, and, and that, was, that, 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 that was all that mattered to him. And uh, I think that for a lot of those types that find themselves today, uh, maybe that's that's what it is. But maybe they'll win, you know, and, 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 and you just have to fight your battle and see what happens. But that, that's all I have to say. I don't, I, I, that, you kind of covered everything on that. That's an awesome story. That's a perfect example. It's a perfect way to end our discussion. Um, yeah, so if you found this interesting and you haven't read any of the things we've read, um, highly recommend you go read uh, Evola, Nietzsche, Spengler, all that. We can uh, We can give you the resources. And uh, so it's the middle of the day here, beautiful autumn in Vermont. We are going to sign off, I guess. And before I head back to New York and Av goes back to Texas, maybe get a little hike in or something. We'll go find a river or a waterfall or something cool. Probably don't have time to climb a mountain today. But uh, this is the Astro Flight Simulation signing off. And uh, stay with us and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you very much for listening.